Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. You're listening to the Irish Times Inside Politics podcast. You're very welcome to this special edition of the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. This weekend, the Irish Times publishes an extensive interview between Fintan O'Toole, our literary editor and columnist, and President Michael D. Higgins. The interview touches on a lot of topics, including personal ones, political ones, the president's ideas and a book which he'll be publishing shortly. The following is an edited recording of some extracts from that interview. And don't forget, we'll be back next Wednesday and every Wednesday with our regular Irish Times politics podcast. Michael D. Higgins has been in office as President of Ireland for almost five years now. And he's just publishing next week a book of his speeches called When Ideas Matter. So I went out to Orson Uchtaran on Wednesday afternoon uh, and had a pretty wide-ranging conversation with him in the study at the Oris. No, it's a long time since we've met Fintan. I was very struck by something he says in the preface to the book where he mentions that particularly this year with the centenary of 1916 and all the thoughts it has raised about the War of Independence that he's been thinking in particular about his own father and about his father as someone who fought in the War of Independence and in the Civil War and about the long-term effects that that sacrifice had on his father and people of his generation. Both of the case of both my uncle and my father, they were on the run mm. a lot and had slipped out and had very chronic uh, chest conditions that they never really recovered from for most of the time that I knew them. So then I... It's pretty obvious when you talk to Michael D. Higgins that although he is an academic intellectual, uh, his ideas are very much rooted in experience in family, in what it's like to grow up with the spectre of poverty and the snobbery of social class in Ireland. By the time I'm five years old, my father's health is very uh, seriously ill and business is collapsing and uh, housing. uh, uh, My mother and my father and my two sisters are moving from flat to flat and then there's an attempt when we all come together again out in County Clare and where we were and my sisters emigrate to England and I had a sense from that time of uh, uh, that's and it surfaces in some of my more recent speeches where I try to say mm. that the historiography in Ireland will have to wake up to carrying the consequences of class for yeah. example why did my mother uh, give uh, not why did we not seek the local authority housing options? Mm. Because it would have been a descent from the farming mm. position to being in a cottage and so forth. And then you have the attitude towards the cottages in Ireland and so on. Uh, and then all of the structure of that early experience was one of using education, of having to finish first, of having to finish in the top three. This would continue, really, because when I left afterwards and worked in a factory in Shannon, and then I go on to Galway, uh, uh, I'm in the ESP, 
The radiate clock, I am quite frustrated that I borrowed 200 pounds, man gives it to me for 50s, and, and I go to England, but again I finish uh, through scholarships. Much of the educational thing is about escaping from insecurity and escaping from the circumstances of my father uh, into a different present. I was very struck in talking to the president that although there is this legacy of the dark side of what happens to his father, his father's poverty and illness, there's also this pure memory of the pleasure he took just in being with his father and watching him and admiring his skills. And you can almost hear in this the joy of a child just watching his father. Times when we were very poor, he would take, one of my sisters told me that only a year ago, then she would take out a dress and a probation in Limerick and uh, and uh, he would cut cloth and make one exactly the mm. same and he was able to use a sewing machine he was able here I remember seeing and watching him uh, cutting leather and sewing sewing uh, putting soles on shoes but also stitching leather and when he was in the in the in the, the car in the camp in the car he would he remember taking coins and flattening them out and putting a hole in the middle and making a clatter ring, which I had and which I've lost in my different migrations from one house to another. When you read the speeches in When Ideas Matter, it's obvious that one of the animating features of Michael D. Higgins' thought is his hostility to the orthodoxy that came from the Chicago School of Right-Wing Thinking in the United States, which really placed the markets and self-interest at the absolute centre of everything people do. And it's also kind of ironic when you think about the fact that his father fought against the British, that a lot of Michael D. Higgins' own thinking around this is shaped by, of all things, British social democracy, which he experienced himself as an emigrant to Britain uh, and as someone who benefited in many ways from the opportunities that British social democracy made available to people like himself. It's one of the great attractive features of America, in a way, is its candor. And they don't hold back. And you have a view in the Chicago school about debating something like altruism. They say that altruism is best kept to your family and your loving relationships. After that, let's agree that self-interest is what is keeping the whole economy going together. So let's keep the economy steady with aggressive self-interest and let's keep that bit of altruism that's precious for just the people that are closest to us. That's one view. Now you take what would have been the thing from my at my age and I look back and in my time going as a student to England and all of the rest of it, I regard the National Health Service in Britain as one of the great achievements of humanity. I also think that those great big public housing initiatives that were said that soldiers who come home from the war can't be asked to live in hovels. The whole notion as well as this of people going to great educational institutions and so on. That's the public world. So here is your issue then when you're around the country and all of it. People call it in different things. They speak about what you might call uh, superfluities in their life. They say, you know, these are the decencies. And it's not only about just being allowed to live. People use tell you a lot when they use a phrase like scratching a living. But it isn't only about being able to be alive. It's about sufficiency. In many ways, the challenge that Michael D. Higgins is laying down in his speeches isn't just to the prevalence of the market and the way people think about society. 
It's also about trying to think about what is it we measure and why is it that we only measure certain kinds of values and don't think about others. I have to defend myself regularly is that none of us are illiterate and none of us are Luddites and we all understand the appropriate uh, benefits of econometrics and measurement but the issue is is that when should you measure, what can be measured, what instrument should you use and how far are you willing to push the reach of the market? Michael D obviously thinks about the market in the very, very broad global context of climate change. I actually say to some people, I ask them question, do you really believe that you can deliver a response that's adequate to climate change or uh, implement sustainable development uh, from uh, the existing construction of markets as they are? Uh, obviously, it, won't, it can't happen. All of this thinking about the market and about social democracy creates a certain tension in the way Michael D. Higgins thinks and talks. Because on the one hand, he's a passionate pro-European, but on the other hand, he's very, very critical of the way in which the European project has developed. With the great failure that I see is what's happening, and I'm quite explicit about it in relation what I'm very worried about the future of Europe. Yeah. is that it's in fact losing all of this. There's, it's ditching uh, uh, some of its better achievements. It's losing some of its better thought because it isn't willing to engage. And on some, I, I, I will offer a hypothesis. That the best contribution to security in Europe is a socially cohesive Europe. Uh, it, it will be, even if it doesn't answer questions, all the que- it's a huge contribution. The president doesn't hold back in his criticism of specific European institutions like the European Central Bank. There was no central bank in the history of central banks uh, that had ever uh, had any impact on unemployment or poverty while it had one instrument, yeah. keeping inflation below 2%. Yeah. And there is no inflation in Europe. And Germany's role in the European Union right now. 27 remaining states in the European can't all be like Germany. Yeah. Yeah. It would be actually a contradiction if there were, because uh, uh, in Mega My Neighbour, only one person can perceive all the cards. Yes. <laughs> and the idea that Europe might become a kind of technocracy where the fiscal rules are all that matters. You could end up almost at the European level uh, as, a, as with a kind of a fiscal council of fiscal councils that remove all conscious uh, decision-making from the people who are in that. The sense of urgency that you get in the way the president talks about these things is obviously related to the fear that there's a vacuum being created which will be filled by dangerous populist forces. It is a matter of fundamental democratic discourses to say how you answer these questions. And they're lurking around behind everything. I say that if you don't answer these questions, you will find yourself seeking to respond if you're a political person um, to what are incohate populisms. It can't be just a a sheer uh, certain, uh, if you you like, uh, cantons of the angry. Yeah. Uh, and that is nihilist. That facilitates a nihilistic opportunity that would be exploited by racism, xenophobia. It's hard to remember when you listen to Michael D. Higgins as president that there was a time 
when the orthodoxy was that presidents really couldn't say anything controversial at all. And you can hear that he's not really following those kinds of rules. I wondered, though, whether he knew that he was going to be able to use the presidency in this pretty outspoken way when he came into the office in 2011. One of the striking things, it's a, it's a very simple thing you say at the beginning of the, in the preface, I think, of the book, but you say that these are speeches you would have given anyway, you know, that, that in a sense, the presidency has altered you much less than I suppose one might expect, given the, the limitations of the office, given it, you know, its constitutional status. The expectation might have been, and people who have known you and admired you for a long time might have thought, it's wonderful that Michael D is president, but it's, it's going to put him into a straitjacket and we're not going to get uh, the full expression of all of his ideas. And I wonder, did you have any of that fear yourself in taking on the office? And how have you, how have you just negotiated that sense no, that I'm, I'm going to say what I would say anyway? I, I thought about that down at Linstall at the weekend I was writing the inaugural speech. And I know I'd, I, uh, Alice uh, uh, looked at the speech asked me and my daughter afterwards and others and but I said I have to put it like this and it's all in the in all the speech that I wasn't going to uh, be doing such an adjustment and I've had my moments of difficulty as well occasionally when there are times the distinction I, I have a kind of ground rules for myself I don't speak about what is before the dollar shattered I don't speak about the government's legislative program but the themes at which legislation are dealing with I feel perfectly free to do so because I'm directly elected as a president and therefore I'm in contact with an awful lot of people so therefore I I kind of tried to grow that into the way an acceptance of that. Of course, you'll have letters saying that oh, why is the president doing this? Why is the president doing that? And the others, but no, it didn't bother me at all. Um, there were times uh, when uh, uh, those uh, people were sent to, the, the discussion in the in the in the radio television would be: Has he crossed the line? And has he stepped over the line? Whatever this line is. Uh, so I. I, I t- it hasn't, it hasn't bothered me. Uh, no, and also I'm not doing anything for, for, to strike any personal effect at all. When you read Michael D's speeches, I mean, they're obviously very, very cerebral and they're functioning at a very high intellectual level. But I suspect he's worked as president because of the combination of that with the social skills he has and with the fact that I think people whom he meets get a sense that this is someone who takes an absolute joy in being in the office. It matters enormously, I think, to people yeah. that they get a sense that you enjoy the office enormously. And they do. You, you, you really yeah. feel that it's important. They have been very, very good to me too, Animoto. And you know what it is too. It is... This, I, got no, I get an odd letter and uh, it's about really what I said about the decencies they, 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 they put it in their own way I have one letter in there now which said that they, the president is trying to do something decent you know they, and, but the, the other part of it is, is there's, I, I'm, I'm also which, which is, I'm glad you were that you, that you put it this way and, and I said I'm making no attempt uh, to hide my own vulnerability mm. And in a way, uh, you asked earlier about the demos, the, 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 the critical missing element and the platonic structure in the, in the Greek demos is in fact its absence of the fullness of the citizenry. But 
fullness of the citizenry isn't in fact just the pe- all the people who vote regularly. It is the people in all their vulnerabilities. Mm. And it is very important to Irish people uh, uh, that uh, they would often say people where people couldn't intervene and do things to help people much was to simply have their position recognised. This is the position of the, the homeless person in, uh, who's sitting in the thing that I've, uh, the people I've spoken to on, on street who would say to people they just wanted to be spoken to uh, with dignity, mm. you know. So given the joy that he takes in the office and given the fact that he seems to be in very good form, the obvious question is whether he would like to be a two-term president and to run again when his current term is up. No, well, I what uh, I realise, you know, it's often quoted to me when I was asked the question, I said, my concentration is on this uh, term. Uh, really, I, 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 the reason I, I'm not commenting on it is uh, that what I'm doing this year in, uh, in 16 has been very important. What I'm doing in 17 and 18 is equally important. But in the fullness of time, uh, and at an appropriate time, I may I decide what I have, and uh, what I have decided. Higgins' collection of speeches is called "When Ideas Matter." It's published by Head of Zeus, and it'll be launched by Gerald O'Toole in Dublin next week.